Hello and welcome back to On Psych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association. I am Dr. Jonathan Douglas. I'm a psychologist in private practice at Central Ontario Psychology in Barrie, Ontario, and I'm a former president of the Ontario Psychological Association. With me today is Dr. Don DeCuna, a psychologist who is getting into the most sharpest cutting-edge material that we can possibly have going on these days. It's stuff which is challenging and I'm sure, you know, uh, a, a little frightening, a little anxiety provoking, you know, to, to deal with and, and perhaps even a wee bit controversial. But that's the kind of thing I like to sink my teeth into. So, <laughs> Don, it's wonderful to have you join us. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are and where you practice and what kind of work you do? A great pleasure to be here, Jonathan. Well, I am just a little bit north of Toronto in the Thornhill area. My clinic is in Markham. We've been around for more years than I would care to admit publicly. But um, uh, so, yes, I've been a we've had a pretty mainstream regular clinical practice in Markham for many, many years. And about uh, four years ago, I came across some research that I found very, very intriguing and I pursued because I've uh, been a trauma-informed uh, practitioner for a long time. And after you know a couple of years of pretty significant training, I now do consider myself a psychedelically informed practitioner. So that's what I do now. A psychedelically informed practitioner. Now, of course, I, I assume you're referring to something other than like myself. I'm a major Beatles fan. So you've gone a bit deeper than that. <laughs> I have. I have indeed. Yes. So t- what was that training like? What what kind of training did you have to do? Well, it was a postgraduate degree in California. It was one year long. Um, there was, uh, we met, I, I flew to San Francisco once a month. I attended two long-term retreats and we were trained by the absolute leaders in uh, in this field, many of them have been conducting this research for many, many years before prohibition in this area. And uh, the training is designed for people who are interested in becoming researchers and uh, therapists in this field. There's really only two places to get uh, formally trained. One would be at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And the other one would be through the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, also in the U.S. Uh So it it takes a lot of training to get to be where where you are at currently, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you say, you know, so what we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, just because I think we've only sort of glanced across it, but basically using psychedelic drugs uh, within a psychotherapy session to help people uh, overcome their psychological traumas. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell me what a session like that looks like? What, what happens? Well, so let me just first uh, clarify that, that the work I'm involved in is uh, research. There's an awful lot mm-hmm. of things going on underground, which I cannot comment on right. because I don't yes. know. But um, the, the training that I undertook was to become... Uh, trained as a 
therapist for novel interventions, in this case, psilocybin. So the training itself is vetted by Health Canada and uh, or the therapy itself is vetted by Health Canada, the FDA, the European Medicines Agency, and this becomes part of the protocol. So what we provide as researcher, clinicians, therapists uh, would be quite different from what you might encounter underground or, you know, in the community and university residences and homes, that kind of thing. Right. Yes. Yes, of course. This is, this is, you know, something very, very different than this, you know, sort of sitting down and having a trip with your friends. Yes, this is, this is uh, research. It's a very rigorous procedure to get in. So currently there are two, um, uh, two studies going on. One at CAMH, which is taking a look at, uh, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression, and the other research is going on in Western Canada, sponsored by MAPS, and they're taking a look at post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. and MDMA. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly a lot of, you know, overlap between those two populations, the PTSD and the treatment-resistant depression. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the... um, so, so take like again. Take me through a session. What does it What does it look like? What does it feel like to be in the room with with someone who's who's tripping, therapeutically? Right. Well, it um, it can be very very challenging, and so we spend a lot of time preparing you. We may meet with you for two or three hours ahead of time. It's very important that we develop trust, rapport, and relationship. The the therapy itself is very non directive. It's quite the antithesis of something like CBT, um, for example, because we are working with individuals in their expanded states of consciousness. We are very, very interested in helping the, the volunteer we're working with to, to return to their own experience. We encourage them to look for their answers inside. And so we help them with going inside their bodies, basically and tolerating inner emotions, which is something that people who are traumatized are quite avoidant of. So we will teach you a number of breathing techniques. We'll teach you grounding techniques. We will ask you a number of curious questions. Um, All to direct you back, we will help you with setting an intention for the journey because we're working with non-ordinary states of consciousness. we, we, it's very important to guide that process through a specific, for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you can set the intention, I can tell you one of the reasons why these medicines, I call them medicines, is because you can't always predict what you're going to get. Right. You can prepare, but the medicine will give you, in, in our vernacular, we say the medicine will give you what you need, what you want, which is very different from a drug which will give you pain relief if you're taking Tylenol, for example. So because because we're taking you into your own non-conscious mind, um, some people may have a life review. Some people may revisit a very traumatic experience. Some people may have a peak experience, encounter the divine. We don't know. So in the, in the research itself, it's a dose study. So you may get one milligram, 10 milligrams or 25 milligrams. So we're taking a look at what is the, the difference in your experience. So even with one milligram, 
Um, you know, we're sensitive to people's disappointment if they are not somehow randomly selected. And we encourage even someone with one milligram to experience your journey. And you can certainly do that with some of the skills that we teach you. Mm-hmm. So after we have uh, established a good relationship and rapport, this, you will simultaneously be very seriously uh, vetted by and monitored by the principal investigator. Uh, there's so many exclusion criteria that um, you can make it into the study and at the 11th hour get bumped for some reason or the other. But if all of that passes, we will meet with you the day before your dose stay and we will review any, everything with you. We may take you through a dry run so that it's a little bit familiar for you. Mm -hmm. We will do our best to keep the environment as aesthetic as possible. There's many symbols that are important in the work, which is not so relevant in research, but it is in the general area. And um, then on the dose day, we will ask you to come in at at 9.30. You will be seen by the principal investigator. You will be given your medicine and you will lie down. You will put on your eye shades. We play play a very specific playlist for you. And uh, we send you off on your journey and we sit quietly and patiently and observe you for the next six, seven, eight hours. And uh, you may or may not need our assistance during that time at all. I will work uh, always with a co-therapist in the research study. And after six, seven hours, um, we, we feed you and uh, hydrate you and um, well, a little bit, some fruit, and make sure that you get home safely. We encourage you to take time for yourself and reduce stimulation and journal or meditate. Just it's very internal experience. We will meet with you again the very next day for a integration session to talk about what happened and uh, how you feel differently. The PI will do some uh, further testing and then we'll meet with you two or three more times after that. The entire process is pretty rigorous for everyone and it takes 12 weeks from beginning to end. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, you know, as we move into, you know, bringing that kind of practice into the real world, this would have to be something that would be really enormously expensive, right? I mean, you're looking at like, you know, a solid day, you know, for two therapists and one client. That would be a, a really challenging thing, you know, from a financial perspective, I would think. Well, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on your perspective. From research, mm-hmm. I can tell you that one participant will probably cost at least $50,000 to the sponsor. Wow. Um, but in private practice, I mean, for an individual, when you consider the cost of, um, you know, sitting with your therapist for a full day preparing an after journey, and then it's over. You don't mm. come back, right? So it's a one or once or twice, maybe three times in your lifetime, depending on what happens. So this is the difference between. Yeah. The, so this is the reason why big pharma has never become interested in in this area because people get better and they don't have repeat customers. So from that point of view, yes, it may be a pretty big hit for for one journey, but that's it. So you're you know, seeing. So. You're seeing outcomes that are so powerful that these people don't even need further care beyond that. Well, it's not it's not that simple because okay. uh, a lot of the evidence is not um, 
does not meet standards for Health Canada. We do not, I mean, most of the stu- studies are not um, placebo control randomized. Right. So this right. is because it's very rigorous. And other research, open research and other kinds of research, um, it, it, you know, you don't have to have the rigorous um, testing that is in, mm-hmm. involved in this. Mm-hmm. So um, with, with in, in the community, the, the point is, it, it, the medicine itself, it kind of reboots your brain, which gives mm-hmm. you then the opportunity to work with your therapist to, over time, uh, start to re-engage with your activities of daily living. That is always my agenda. Return to productive activities of daily living before your uh, depression or your trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so support is needed afterwards. You may have experiences that simply don't make sense to you. And talking that's when talk therapy becomes important. However, I yeah. can tell you, with even with the training with uh, that I have had, the, even the talk therapy really just continues to ask you questions, curious questions about yourself and redirects you back to sensory experiences, which are not in the cognitive domain. They're in the, in the body domain, they're mm-hmm. sensory, they're in the mind, which, you know, many of us think is not local. Mm-hmm. So to the brain. So it's complicated. It's a very, very complicated area. And we're just starting to uh, uh, understand it. Now, having said that, these medicines come from all continents around the globe. And indigenous people people have been using these medicines for ceremony, for rites of passage, for guidance uh, through the shamans for 12,000 years. They right. have roots in Christianity and Buddhism in many, many religions uh, of the indigenous people all around the globe. So there's so much to unpack here. I mean, it's, it's just truly, so fascinating. Truly. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, symbols, right? Which instantly, of course, brings me to, to Jung, right? Yes. And, you know, what, what kind of material do you see coming out from that sort of that, that, that depth psychology? you know, perspective? Well, that's a, that's also a very interesting question because what you, so this is why the set becomes very important. What is your intention? Are you Mm -hmm. going into heal uh, uh, grief problems? Are you going into come to terms with your mortality uh, because you have an adverse diagnosis? Are you coming to terms with a, a childhood of abandonment and neglect? Are you coming in because you have a heroin addiction? So a lot of it has to do with that. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're finding is that uh, from a practical point of view, it's really kind of irrelevant what your DSM or ICD-10 diagnosis is, because the medicine seems to address themes that are universal, regardless of language, of culture, of color, often of age, Um so, so it, it seems to be at, you know, it, was, it seems to be working at some kind of very archetypal level. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So you can, so for example, you can be a devout Catholic, go journey and meet Shiva wow. or Ganesh and have a beautiful encounter with a deity that has the head of an elephant. Like try explaining that to 
a, a Catholic person or, or, you know, an Orthodox Jewish person or try explaining to devout Buddhists that Christians believe that, you know, they, they crucified on, on a nail their, their deity, their God, and celebrate that, that crucifixion every year. It's very hard to wrap your head around unless you're familiar with those concepts. So that's what the medicine done. It, it just, it just disrupts every preconceived idea that we had. And then when you come back with having a beautiful encounter with a being that you thought was somebody else's problem, it's quite remarkable. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's like we're diving into the stuff of the spiritual, of, you know, yes. Joseph Campbell, right. Yes. You know, that kind of stuff, Absolutely. you know, and, and it's, it's, all the stuff that we thought, you know, we've always we're, we're taught that, you know, this stuff is untestable, unwitnessable, right? And yet, you know, we can actually basically expose this material through an experimental paradigm like this. It's, it's Absolutely. really amazing. We can. In fact, uh, it, you know, Rick Doblin, who is arguably the, the face of the psychedelic renaissance currently, um, he tell, talk, tells a story about how he um, dug up some original research, and it was called the Good Friday Experiment. And the Good Friday Experiment was um, Walter Pankey, who has now passed on, um, convinced Harvard University, the, the pastor who was the pastor for Martin Luther King, to allow his, uh, his, student, his theology students to, to take psilocybin in the ba- basement of Marsh Chapel. Mm-hmm. And so because there was no stigma, it wasn't scheduled, it was freely, freely used uh, yes. back in the day. Um, so when the, when the minister gave his sermon, there was, you know, like 20, 30 people in the basement high on, on LSD or psilocybin or whatever it was listening to the sermon. And out of those individuals, many had peak experiences and Rick Doblin followed up on that 30 years later. And they still reported that all these years later, it was one of the top five experiences of their lifetime. And out of that research, Roland Griffiths, um, from St. Uh, John's Hopkins University has fine-tuned the um, peak experiences scale. So we can, so, so you have to have, you have to meet a number of criteria. There's about 12, 15 criteria. And one of the criteria for what's called a peak experience is, you know, an encounter with the divine. It doesn't matter what divine, interestingly right. enough. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, there's a peace and bliss and a love that just cannot be put into words. The experience itself is ineffable. It changes you forever. Um, yeah. So we, and, and also interestingly enough, the best outcome, you can take a lot of medicine, but if you don't have a peak experience, the outcomes do not, are not as stable and as long and as profound and life-changing as if you have a peak experience, regardless right. of why you journey or what medicine you take. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing like real transformation in these people, aren't you? Well, in the research, not so much because, you know, we don't, we don't always know what, you know, we, I can guess if someone, mm-hmm. how, you know, in the integration, but I can tell you when I was doing in my training in London, 
uh, you know, the supervisor, I was the co-therapist in my training and the supervisor came around and he says, how's he doing? I said, oh, I think he's sleeping. He didn't, he got a low dose. He fell asleep. I was dead wrong. Huh. He got a full dose. He did, he did an entire life review on the day of integration. The next day he came in, he told me he spoke to his mom. He hasn't spoken to her in 12 years. He integrated new stuff in his yoga practice. He talked to his sister. He'd been straight, like all of this within 24 hours. So wow. that was my wonderful experience. And my interpretation of him lying there was he fell asleep. He didn't move a muscle. <laughs> right, right. He didn't even get up to go to the washroom. So yeah. I thought he was sleeping. Yeah. But look what was going on in his mind. It yeah. transformed him. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And, and other, you know, uh, uh, outside in other countries where it's legal and talking with uh, colleagues who do this work in other countries. Yes. Lives are transformed every day, which is why, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm coming forward. Like it's, it's just um, immoral and criminal to keep it yes. to myself. It's just yeah. not right. Yes. So, yes. And, and yes. you, you've described to me sort of coming out of the closet, right? It was, it was like coming cause I've kept a lot to myself just, uh, because I had this preconceived idea that, uh, you know, people would think I was, uh, I had lost my mind or something <laughs> and, um, there, you know, it happens. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, I was, but really, I mean, this, this is stuff we've been talking about this. I mean, I, you know, you're not the first, I mean, you, you're the first person I've met who's been in the room right mm -hmm. but you're, you're it's certainly not the first reference to this I and mean, we've been talking about using mdma in um uh, ecstasy in uh in in psychotherapy for for years now right and i it's you know psilocybin i mean you know lsd as you point out i mean this stuff was being researched in the 1960s before mm -hmm. as you put it prohibition against it right, right. so it's not like this stuff is brand new, not you know, it, it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're just taking a serious look at it again. Right. And right. I, I think it's so exciting because there's, you know, there's the, these, these frontiers, right. Like I say, it's so cutting edge because, you know, we're, we're beginning to realize that, you know, psychotherapy doesn't have to take years, right. right. It, you know, we can actually have these transformative experiences, really quite quickly. Yes. And, you know, and uh, that's just so exciting. And not know? only can they occur quickly, but they can remain stable for your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then, and then think about it. If you have, you know, if you have a, 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 a an 18 or 25 year old adult son with an addiction to heroin, then he comes back and changes. It changes the whole family. The mm -hmm. rest of them don't have to go do medicine now that he's recovered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so there's a ripple effect that is, you know, good medicine. It's healing for everyone when one person journeys and wakes up. Yes, the ripple effect the, of, of, the of that change, effect. right? The butterfly effect, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting that you say using, using these drugs of abuse in the context of treating addiction. Right. What, what, what an mm -hmm. irony that is. But of course, in, in addiction, you know, I think of addiction as using a medication frequently to um, to numb out, you mm -hmm. know, to run away from. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, you, you, you gave me this uh, uh, training. I took part in this training that you did a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I really enjoyed, by the way. Thank um, you. And, and, you know, you're you're speaking about sort of like the bad trip and what is a bad trip, but one where instead of 
leaning into what's arising, you're fleeing from it, right? Mm -hmm. And you get that anxiety and that terror of, oh, I can't go there, which is so familiar to me as someone who treats trauma, right? You know, you hear these people say, I can't think about that. Don't don't make me talk about that, right? Exactly. And we have to lean into these things if we're really going to overcome them. Right. When it's possible to do so. Well, so this is where the medicine is so is so beautiful because, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, its impact on the mind. Now, let's talk a little bit about its impact on the on the body, the brain, the mm-hmm. organ of the mind, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what this uh, most of the psychedelics do not all, but most of the psychedelics do is um, they they impact the brain in such a way that thinking areas of the brain, the uh, prefrontal cortex dampens in it, it, its its activity, and the fear processing centers of the brain dampen their activity, so that the the brain becomes a little bit freer to start communicating with itself. This is facilitated by massive amounts of uh, serotonin, uh, which is a neurotransmitter released into mm-hmm. into the brain. So mm-hmm. what that does is it allows communication between areas of the brain that have never spoken to one another before. So when two neurons say hello to each other for the first time, one's going to say, I didn't know that. And that's going to lead to some insight because that's how perspective shifts. You never thought about it that way, or you never considered that option and you bring back the memory of that insight and then that will trigger other uh insights if you spend time reflecting if you work with your therapist if you continue to process but it's kind of like a dream if you forget about it it'll forget about you and you won't remember your dream in a couple of days right right yeah that that's so fast i i dabbled briefly i i, I just before i became opa president I was getting into neurofeedback mm-hmm. and um, which was really quite fascinating and, and, and eye opening a lot of ways. And then I became president and I had no time for no time. <laughs> into a, a brand new area of practice and right. you know, developing these new skills. Um, but it re- what you're talking about reminds me of that, of, of, you know, f- you know, the interconnectivity of the brain and trying exactly. to get yes. different parts communicating right mm-hmm. even emdr eye movement desensitization yes. and reprocessing which is uh, you know a commonly used uh, uh, st- uh treatment strategy for right. for uh, trauma it speaks of the theory behind it which i've always kind of been a little iffy on how accurate this theory is but you know the idea of getting different parts of the brain communicating right because it right. appears when we talk about um a traumatic experience right the hemispheres aren't communicating that well, right? No. You know, it, 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 we, if we can get them communicating again, I've always used the metaphor of Star Trek, right? Of, of the original series of Star Trek, where you'd have, you know, Spock would be going, this is highly illogical, Captain. And, you know, you'd have, you know, McCoy saying, damn it, Spock, those are people down there. And you'd have, you'd have <laughs> Kirk would synthesize the two, Right. And right. so trauma is the experience of this is highly illogical. This happened in the past. And you've got McCoy screaming at the top of his lungs and they've got no Kirk to solve the problem. Right. right. Know, we, we get the two parts communicating, you know, then we can, you know, reintegrate, you know, right. and it, 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 that's a, it's so fascinating that, you know, these, the way that it all starts to come together, not to least, you know, my interest in both the Beatles and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Which you are famous for, Jonathan. Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Can I get through an hour without talking about one or the other? You know, not uh, often. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want to? Why would I want to? That's so, true. So professionally, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as you say, it's a bit anxiety provoking to be on the cutting edge of something, right? And you know, have have you had any like difficulty dealing with that? No, not at all. Not even a molecule of anxiety. I have no hesitation. I am jumping in both feet into deep water. You. In fact, that's what I what I did. No, there's no yeah. need to hesitate. What's the hesitation for? I mean, I would hesitate. I would hesitate with you know what's available now with pharmaceutical mm-hmm. medicines yeah. and what they do to you, and that's scary as hell. But. Um, these medicines are not, but they have to be properly supported. But, you know, yes. so, so what's happening is that, um, yeah, I'm not convinced that the clinics opening up all over the place are all that medically supported. And, and um, you know, as I mentioned in, in the webinar, I'm, I feel very strongly about that because that can hurt all of us. Yes. You know, right now it has to, this whole work has to unfold in a very lawful, very methodical, very transparent and approved of process by the, by the policymakers and people that be, because they can shut us down. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that, that there are insurance companies that, that are looking at this medicine. There are corporations looking at this medicine. There's, so there's a lot of research right yes. now uh, uh, going on. And I, I don't know, you know, how necessary this degree of research is, but it is what it is. And we have to do what Health Canada wants and we will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just but, in the, in the I... meantime, it's frustrating that, um, you know, some, some, uh, off-label use is not allowed in the U.S. You're, you know, you can have a compassionate use for right. experimental medicines, and that's not available here. And I think that's grossly unfair mm-hmm. um, to people that suffer so badly right now. Yeah. And I think there's there's dangers too. Like you know, we saw this with marijuana, right? Where you know, it, initially it starts to be recognized with some you know medical purpose, medical value, uh, and the next thing you know, we've got you know, corporations springing right. up all over the place, you know, yes. and people who used to police it are now the people who are making the we'll money off it. of it. Right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, um, and I think we're, you know, I was telling you, I, I got this, I think it was a promoted tweet. You know, it was like, it was like a, um, it's like just one of these tweets that you see where it's promoted and they're encouraging you to, uh, to invest in something. And it was for, um, a, a psychedelic uh, uh, psychotherapy uh, corporation, where they were clearly talking about, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to be the premier corporation. We're going to roll this out, and you know, and I'm like, wow, we don't even have the research yet, right, right, and and we're already talking about how to monetize this, right, yeah. and I, it's just like, yeah, you know, we're, it, it really feels like, you know, that you know, parallel with, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the marijuana, uh, industry has been rather, it's been a wild west, I think in, in some ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, um, patterns do repeat themselves and mm-hmm. I am seeing some pretty, you know, concerning signs that those patterns are repeating themselves again. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. which is why I think, um, yeah, I think, I, I think unfolding it in a, in a very regulated and lawful manner is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, and, and it takes, seems like it takes so long 
for regulation to catch up to this kind of rapidly evolving uh, science, doesn't it? Well, Canada worldwide has a reputation for being uh, very forward thinking in this area. And I think that we're, but I really think that COVID unfortunately derailed a lot of the momentum uh, that was being, being built up, unfortunately. So, yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. This is not something you're going to be doing <laughs> online, right? <laughs> you know, no. yeah, you got to be in the room for sure. Yeah. 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 So I, I think, um, you know, I think Health Canada is is warming up a little bit. I think they're a little bit more open. Well, the demand is there. Mm-hmm. There is a demand. I mean, I read a statistic that I did submit to Health Canada um, and it was saying that psychedelics are the most widely abused illegal drug now. Wow. And, and I'm thinking, well, why don't we just reexamine the legality of it? Because, yeah. you know, how they became scheduled in the first place was very political. It had nothing to do Mm -hmm. with science. It had nothing to do with harm. It had to do with the political agenda. And, um, you know, I can't even begin to imagine how far along we would have been had, um, you know, this prohibition not been imposed Mm -hmm. on the public. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 These things have always been politicized, right? I mean, going back to, you know, marijuana, you know, and, you know, sort of being, uh, you know, wasn't the cotton industry set out to prevent the hemp industry from taking over the making of rope, yes. right? So they demonized marijuana because it was hard to tell from hemp, right? You know, this kind of a thing. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you get racial politics involved, right? You know, where, you know, yes. if, 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 you know, drugs are associated with a given racial group, they're more likely to be illegal than if they're not, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yes. it's, yeah, really, really, you know, fascinating stuff. You know, absolutely true. Um, I, I'm wondering the, um, where do you think it's going to go from here? Like, how long do you think it's going to, you know, take to enter like a, a, a mainstream uh, kind of a uh, treatment? Well, I think the the signs are evident now. So um, ketamine is used um, as a psychedelic. Just to be clear, ketamine is not a psychedelic. It is an anesthetic. It has psychedelic properties. And it is being used primarily to manage pain syndromes. But a lot of people are noticing that you can also have psychedelic experiences uh, depending on the dose. And so some people have adapted that to very low dose uh, and offering uh, that as a psychotherapy. And that's one of the things that I do because um, it's effective. I mean, it's not, you know, like a real plant medicine, but um, it's very, it, it, I do find that it accelerates uh, the, it deepens the the journey. So what what Mm -hmm. I do with it is I do use, uh, I have a big, uh, long background in, in hypnosis. Um, so I do a uh, guided journey and that journey is linked to whatever the intention is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can do that safely. It deepens the experience, but it's not, it's not at all like, uh, a psych, a real psychedelic experience. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So sorry, like, would you call that microdosing? Is that, or is it? No, microdosing is a, is another phenomenon that is very, very popular. It started in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, almost a very large portion of Silicon Valley is microdosing. And now even U of T has actually got a study going on it. 
Um, so uh, microdosing is a whole other phenomenon. People use sub-perceptual doses on a particular schedule, like three days on, four days off, or vice okay. versa, because you can habituate to this and you won't get any effect at all. Right. So, right. so um, there's a number of protocols that you can use in journals to record your experience. So that's one thing. Um, but those are not individuals that are suffering from debilitating PTSD and treatment resistant depression. Yeah. So the research yeah. is, uh, is really geared for those individuals. There is a lot of um, research going on for, all kinds of other problems that are not uh, randomized, uh, double-blind RCT-controlled studies. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're working with um, people with personality issues, with autism, with OCD, with uh, eating disorders, Mm. with all kinds of things. And the the research is being done. It's just not uh, done under Health Canada's watch, so to Mm -hmm. speak. So in order to make it legal for practitioners to integrate this into their practices, I think, again, COVID has put a dent in things, but um, probably two to three years. And then depending how the administration, the U.S., Canada, Europe rolls it out, it might be possible for individual practitioners to get licensed to expand their license. So right now, if you have a license to prescribe schedule one, two or three or four, uh, medicines, this would just be added to that. I'm hoping that they will change the scheduling so that, um, you know, it's a problem. It's so hard to get access to a psychiatrist or physician now that um, changing the scheduling and making it more widely ab- available appeals to me. Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea of working in teams like family teams currently in Ontario. So the physician would have a license and the psychologist or the therapist would. So it's a team effort. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you must have to work very closely with physicians at this point, huh? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, we have meetings once a week, but mm-hmm. their role is really quite separate and distinct. The only okay. time I would, uh, you know, call on Dr. Hossein is, uh, if there was a crisis of some kind and right, right, I wouldn't right. need to, he, his role is quite different. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Will he be like, he's the one who's like prescribing the actual, uh, substance though, I assume. Yes. And doing yeah. uh, all of the medical testing. Right. And there's also a number of, uh, psychological tests and baseline tests that are collected, but they are collected from, um, uh, Europe, I think. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. Yeah, it's very, very cutting edge stuff, isn't it? I mean, you know, it'd be so exciting to see this evolve. And I think inevitably it will. I mean, there's so much excitement about it, not only about the psilocybin, but the uh, uh, you, you were mentioning a, a number of different uh, yes. substances, right? You know, there's the LSD. Yes. There's one I'd never heard of before. Uh, not the ayahuasca, uh, which is the... Ibogaine? Uh, yes, yes. Ibogaine. I've never heard of this one before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Ibogaine is the godfather of all master teacher plants. There's a whole <laughs> language that goes with these medicines. Master teacher plants. <laughs> yes. Wow. So they are master teacher plants. They are master 
there are teacher plants and then there's, there's different uh, uh, hierarchies, I guess. Wow. Um, so Ibogaine uh, comes from the, the third layer of the root bark of uh, a bush called the, the uh, Tabernut not the Iboga. It grows in a very, very small area of West Africa, primarily in Gabon. Gabon had the government, the administrator, the Gabon government has declared ayahuasca a uh, living treasure. Or some such thing. It's it has been it's been granted some very special personhood. It cannot be removed from the country. Uh, it was originally practiced. Well, it, the, you know the, the the medicine and the teaching of the medicine was um, is it, it has its roots in mysticism. It was originally practiced by the the pygmy people, and wow. then when they migrated, they taught it to the Buiti people. And now the Buiti people have been uh, practicing this medicine for decades, thousands of years, thousands of years. It's a rite of passage and it's used for all kinds of things. But this teacher plant will is different from all the other psychedelics because most of the other psychedelics will work on the um, serotonin system. Mm -hmm. This particular plant will work on not just the serotonin system, but also the dopamine uh, system. And we know that dopamine is strongly involved in addiction, which is why Ibogaine is known to be an addiction interrupter. But it also works on uh, GABA receptors. It just, um, it, it sits in your fat, uh, fat tissue. You can be integrating for a very long time after you do this medicine. And it's probably only done for most people once in a lifetime. Wow. You wow. can go and you can meet your ancestors. You can, you know, you can time travel. You can you can have the journey from how most people don't have pleasant or most people say, I will never do that again. Because <laughs> it's not, it's not pleasant. It's very long. It can last 24 to 30 hours. You're a toxic. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the bathroom by yourself. You haven't eaten for a day. It's not fun. So, um, so people who do it are doing it either because they're called or there is nothing else for them. You right. don't have to be a drug addict to do this drug. You don't have right. to have an addiction. You don't have to have a serious problem. You can simply be called. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it, it's meant to be used as a spiritual journey. Yes, right. Yeah, it is deeply yeah. spiritual. It is yeah. deep. You wouldn't yeah. want to do this medicine for anxiety, for example. You you mentioned. I I wrote down a quote from your your uh, your talk a couple of weeks ago. You had said the most challenging experiences are often the most meaningful. Yeah, you know, in, in the context of doing the, this this kind of work, you know, yes. it certainly sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but it's um, you know when when you go in, um, so I can tell you a little. So this is from the internet. It's not from a, a, a client. A man was talking about his journey, and he was sexually abused at the age of three by his uh, grandfather, and it haunted him. And uh, he journeyed to figure out why that happened. So in his journey, he sees himself as a little three-year-old boy. He's observing himself as a, he's walking along a field in a meadow, and he comes upon the house, and the house looks like his old house. And he goes in, and there's another three-year-old boy there 
who invites him to come inside and somehow indicates he should go upstairs. And when he goes upstairs, there's another three-year-old boy in the bed being sexually abused by his grandfather. So he's because there's no emotional reaction to this, he can say to his grandfather, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that to me? Like, what? What? what are, so that's what he did. He asked his grandfather, why are you doing this to me? And his mm-hmm. grandfather came apart, said, you know, it was done to me when I was a child. And it was done to my grandfather. And this is an intergenerational thing, which like automatic, it's almost like an epigenetic expression that that happens. It just unfolds in such a non-conscious way, even though you know it's wrong, even though you, so it's a very, very complex thing. So when this, this young man came out, the memory of being sexually abused by his grandfather was still there, but he viewed it differently. He viewed it with compassion towards his grandfather who did the abuse because he understood, like he understood it. And then yeah. he, he, then what he was able to do is he's able to interrupt his own pattern. Right. Right. So there's no unconscious because it's so like, we know that if you've been sexually abused, there's a high probability you're going to abuse someone. Well, higher, higher than, than average. average. Higher, higher than average. Than average. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you for qualifying that. Yeah. <laughs> higher than average. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or or you'll internalize it and, mm-hmm. and have, you know, deep depression or or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of difficulty mm-hmm. interpersonally anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as you say, you know, and the more we try to run away from those experiences, the more, you know, it's it's the thing we run from that ends up, you know, determining our path in a sense, right? Well, yes, we are prisoners of our memories. Yeah. And and all those memories are constructed. They aren't even Mm -hmm. real memories. They're constructions of memories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. It Very is. Interesting. It's, it's enormously complicated. It, it, yes, it feels like yes. you are absolutely on the edge of something brand new, right? You know, it's not like, you know, you know, the, these these are substances that are going to be coming to an office near you next week. This is not going to, you know, this is going <laughs> to take a while, right? <laughs> this, this is, is going gonna, to take a while. Yeah. And because of its complexity, it really needs to unfold in a very thoughtful and considered way. And it's going to need an enormously uh, sensitive and skilled psychotherapist, you know, yes. with with training yes. in 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 depth psychology, right? Yes. You know, yes. we're going to have to have well trained people doing this work, you know. And it, well, this is because one of the things that strikes me, right, is that the um, you know, uh, the, the history of psychiatry. There are absolutely some amazing uh, psychiatrists who do amazing psychotherapy. They are comparatively rare today. You know, most psychiatrists yes. today, they prescribe, right. you know, they yes. might do a little sort of, you know, sort of surface level psychotherapy. But the depth psychology uh, is, is you know, sort of out of the hands of psychiatry for the most part today. Yes. Meanwhile, Agreed. the depth psychology, you know, is, you know, it's that intense training, right? That takes many, mm-hmm. many years. It tends to belong yes. in the hands of psychologists, but a lot of psychologists don't get this stuff today either, right? No, a lot don't. of psychologists never even use a Rorschach, let alone you know dive into the unconscious, you know, in, right. in their in their training, right? You know, you really have to have people who've had the right uh, training, right? In some cases, even to comprehend that this stuff is valuable. 
Yes. Well, you know, it brings up an interesting um, point, if, you know, from a depth psychology p- point of view, it, it, it is deep, but it disrupts all of our paradigms. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, the training at Compass is based on a, a different paradigm, a method of levels. It's based uh, theoretically on perceptual control theory, which reminds me of personal construct theory. So it's really about what you construct for yourself. It's really about not for the therapist not to impose their view um, or their interpretation on it until well after the journey. The only thing, like a really, really good therapist will encourage you to go back in. Mm-hmm. while you're in the journey mm-hmm. and then if you get through it then you you know like you'll get it you'll come back out getting it See? it's the so, scene so the less the less you do but is the better it's star wars right you go <laughs> into the cave right you, you must cave. confront whatever must. it is you're bringing into yes. the cave with you yes right that's it you must look your monster in the eye. Yes. You must. Yes. And you must let the monster consume you. Into the cave you must go. Into the cave you must go. <laughs> Into the forest. Well, this is an archetypal yeah. theme. You know, Absolutely. this is, a, you know, a coming of age. You must go into the forest. You must go into the cave. Yeah. This is, these are archetypal journeys in our, in our plays and our stories in our memories. That's yeah. what archetypes are. They're, they're the people's memories. Wow! Yeah, yes, the <laughs> they are. It's amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm so so glad to have had the opportunity to sit down and and to talk with you. I could probably continue this for another hour, but uh, <laughs> you know, I have to wrap up, and I'm sure you have things to move on to as well. But thank you so much for 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 sharing. You know this really really new and unique experience that you know maybe someday more psychologists will be able to you know say they're doing this stuff as well i sincerely hope so you know it's, oh i'll i'll count i'm gonna make sure of it yeah <laughs> i'm gonna make sure of it we, we need more trained therapists right away absolutely absolutely. absolutely it's been a great pleasure jonathan thank you for inviting me thank you so much you have been listening to On Psych, presented by the Ontario Psychological Association. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Mm-hmm.